Somebody give him some praise in the house. Man. Great to see you, Promisers. Welcome to all of our campuses this weekend. We love you. Ecstatic that you chose to be here with us. Now, last weekend was our Heart for the Harvest, and many of you are wondering, how much was the offering? And in seven days, I'm going to tell you. Oh, come on. Count of three. One, two, three. Oh, because the offering utensils, the trunks are still up. Many people were out of town last week, had texted, called, emailed, hey, we want to give, said you got another week. So we are, we're, we're looking pretty good, but I believe that God is still speaking to some people about some significant gifts in Heart for the Harvest. And so if that's you, just go ahead and put yours in the box today and just obey God, and I will let you know next weekend, so you don't want to miss. I know it's a holiday weekend. But you want to be here and find out what God did and, and what it was. So as fired up as I was about Heart for the Harvest and the series on sacrifice, if it can be possible, I am more fired up about this current series. Absolutely stoked. The series is Love Starts Here. When you leave today, we're giving you a, a, a calendar, an Advent calendar that we put together leading up to the Advent, leading up to Christmas. In it, you'll find many of the ministries that we support, many of the missionaries. You'll find places and ways where you can plug in, where you can serve, where you can share, and where you can care. Uh, all of your small group leaders will be given opportunities because in this month, we're challenging all of our adult groups to, you know, hey, but I, man, studying the Word of God is awesome, and we've got to do it, but hey, take a break, meet somewhere, and serve somebody. Serve somebody, serve our city somewhere, somebody, somehow. Love starts here. Again, it is sad that the world knows the church for what it's against, and they don't know us for what we're for. We're for people, amen? We're to, we're to, man, we're to see a hurt, and we're to feel it, we're to see a heart, and we're to heal it, and that's what God wants us to do. So in this series, let me give you a thought about love's, where love starts. Love starts at the intersection of a need and a willing heart. There's plenty of needs, aren't there? There's not plenty of willing hearts. So love starts at the intersection of a need and a willing heart. Now, the last series had huge potential. It was sacrifice. We, 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 and we gave a special offering for our God Behind Bars, our prison campus, for our Loudoun County campus. We did it. Has huge potential. But let me tell you, this series has even greater potential to change your life and the lives of other people around you. Because last series, we sacrificed and we gave. And the church gets funny when you talk about their money, right? Let's be real. Come on. But this is the deal. It's way easier to give than it is to go. It's easier to dole out than it is to do. It's easier to give money than it is give your time. It's easier to write a check or give an offering than it is to go to Water Angels or Emory Youth Foundation or CARM or somebody, somewhere and plug in. Because nobody's going to reject their money, but they might reject you. And so there are a lot of reasons why we back up, why we're afraid, why we're a little concerned to do that. But when we, when we hit the intersection of a need and a willing heart, see, at that intersection, your faith is going to grow. At that intersection, hearts are mingled. At that intersection, lives are changed forever. At that intersection, souls are saved. At that intersection, eternity will be affected for multitudes if we will but step into what God is calling us to do. Now, love starts here. Love is a verb. Love is action. 
The Bible says that God is love. Love is not God's last name. Love is what God does. Love is God's action. God is love. We who are followers of God, we should be lovers of people. That's what God has called us to do. Would y'all agree with that? And so we want, to, we want to be doing that action. We want to be doing that. So what we're going to do is we're going to combine two events. And I'm, I'm trying to quit using the word stories. You know, the story in the Bible. Because when I was little, my mom would say, Chris, are you telling me a story? <laughs> now, when your mother or dad looked at you and said, are you telling me a story? They really said, are you telling me a, a lie? That's right. So in people that don't have biblical backgrounds, we have a lot of people who come to this church, didn't grow up in church, thank God you're here. But see, when you come in and I say, look at this story from the Bible, then you wonder, well, I wonder if that's true. So we're going to look at two events, not stories, two events out of the life of our Lord, and we're going we're, we're we're, we're to put two things together that, this, that we always seem to divide. So are you guys ready to get in the Word? Yeah, are y'all ready for some of the word of God? Come on, get ready. You got to listen actively. So, so get ready. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew's gospel, the 14th chapter, starting in the 13th verse with a story that most of you know very well. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Now, what had Jesus just heard? Jesus had just heard that his first cousin, John, had been beheaded by Herod. John, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, Jesus' first cousin, and Jesus is having a wonderful morning, and somebody walks up and said, hey, Jesus, you made a herd, but your cousin, John, Herod killed him yesterday, cut his head off. So Jesus is bummed out, you can imagine. He's grieving the loss of his cousin. And so Jesus goes away from there to a secluded place so that he can mourn. Are you with me? So he can mourn. And when the, and when the uh, people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. See, the crowds didn't care how Christ felt. All they cared about was their needs. Does that make sense? And, and there are lots of days that you don't want to help anybody. There are days that you don't want to serve anyone. Why? Because you've had a really bad day. Your spouse jumped on you. Your boss jumped on you. It's the fourth diaper full of poop. Are you with me? It's what I love about grandkids. I don't do poo anymore. This is yours. Have it back. When I got it out of clean diaper, bring the, clean that and bring it back to me. But until then, take this. It stinks. Or as the Bible says, it stinketh. And so... And you know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? So you may have had a really bad day. I mean, something just like Jesus. But see, it's not about us, is it? It's about loving others regardless of your day, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's going on. See, the real deal is Christians, we wake up saying, dear God, I don't want to get up. It's cold, and I don't want to go to work. I don't feel good. And God, would you bless me, and would you give me, and would you do for me, and would you help me, and would you move in me, and would you, and would you, would me, 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 me. Is that the typical prayer in the morning for most followers of Jesus? Come on, somebody be honest. 
What if you woke up every morning and said, whoa, thank God it's daytime. I can't wait to get up out of bed because, God, you're going to open up a door for me to walk through today. You're going to give me an opportunity to share. You're going to give me an opportunity to serve. I don't know where, I don't know when, but I can't wait because I'm a missionary and I am fired up about this day because, see, I'm looking at others and I don't have the mirror always on me. Do you think your life would be more full of joy if you lived like that? Somebody talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's the life of others. That's what God wants us to do. So let's go to the next verse. He went ashore and saw a large crowd and felt what? Compassion. I used this last week. I talked about the Hebrew word because the word compassion means to be moved in your bowels. I, I know that's a disgusting illustration, but see, the Hebrews thought that, that compassion it meant being, well, you were moved right here in your guts. And Jesus sees him, and he's wadded up in the, he's just wadded up. Now, he's had a horrible day because his cousin, he's just found out John's been, had his head cut off. But he sees all these people, and he's, he's moved in his guts for them and healed their sick. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I know you are sick, but listen, you guys don't realize my boy John just got his head cut off yesterday. Come back tomorrow when I feel better. Is that how Jesus operated? Are we followers of Jesus? Is he our example? Yes. Okay. So Jesus starts teaching and goes, you know, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4. He's taught all day. He's healed all day. And the disciples come up. I love how concerned the disciples are about everybody else. Look at verse 15. It was evening. The disciples came and said, this place is desolate. The hour is already late. So send the people away so that they may go in the villages and buy what? Food for themselves. This is what I call spiritual speculation. This is not Bible. I don't think the disciples were as concerned about everybody as they were the hunger pains they were feeling. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can hear Peter telling Jesus in his stomach gurgling at the same time. Now, we're, hey, Lord, it's the sermon's awesome. And we'd like about three more hours. But them, those poor people, <laughs> they're hungry. Come on, Lord, you got to do something. Are you, there's a need out there, Lord, do something. And so look what Jesus says. But Jesus said unto them, they don't need to go anywhere. You do it. See, when Jesus is always saying, you do it. You deal with it. You meet the need. You care for the heart. You give to the poor. You go visit. You do the mission trip. You go do it. See, Andy Stanley called this the intersection of tension, where you see a need and you think somebody ought to do something about it. Not me, right? Not me, but somebody ought to do something about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you can't believe how many people email me, call me, text me, come by, see me and say, hey, Pastor, I saw this need. You need to do something about it. Well, tell me about the need. There are a lot of lost people in my neighborhood. Somebody needs to come witness to. Really? What about you? Oh, no, I pray. No, I don't, uh, no, 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 thanks. Really, Pastor, it's great, but you need to send a team. You need to come over. Somebody needs to come. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, we've got an unbelievable kids' ministry. We have almost 2,000 kids every weekend in our kids' ministry and workers. And you know what? It's a great deal, and somebody ought to help serve in that ministry, shouldn't they? Somebody ought to do it. Not me, but somebody. We have, we have 1,000 on Wednesday night, high schoolers and middle schoolers. It's called you know, purgatory. We have a thousand of them. <laughs> and many of their families are not believers. They come to church alone. 
Somebody ought to be a spiritual dad and a mom to those students, don't you think? Somebody ought to be there serving. Somebody ought to be a small group leader, not me, but somebody. I don't know who somebody is, but he is tired. I mean, somebody's working his butt off. Really, somebody. Or, hey, we got these mission trips. Somebody ought to go to Faith Promise Costa Rica. Somebody ought to go to China. Somebody ought to go. We've got these commu- uh, community projects. Somebody ought to go to CARM. Somebody ought to go to Emerald Youth. Somebody ought to go to Water Angels, not me. Somebody. Somebody go to the inner city. Somebody ought to go to that Loudoun County campus. It's going to rock. Somebody ought to go do that. Just not who? Me. Somebody. I mean, I don't do it. I pray for it. Come on. That's crazy. I'm not doing it. See, I can't. I don't have enough money. I don't have time. I don't have any experience. I've never done that. I've never worked with students. I've never worked with kids. I'd love to go on a foreign mission trip, but I'm afraid to fly. I can't. I can't. I don't. I don't. We see it. There's the tension. We see the need. Are you with me? But we're not going to be the ones to do it. I can't. I don't. It's got to be somebody else. Somebody else has got somebody else. See, when God reveals to you a need, it's because God wants you to do something about it. Amen? Are y'all out there? Come on. So I want you to do. I want you to do it. And so if you see these things, then God wants you to, to get involved. But but let me let me show you what they did, verse 17. They said to him, We only have five loaves and two. We got five biscuits and two sardines. We can't do it. It's not happening. Now, here's the disciples looking at Jesus in the flesh and making excuses. Go back to Moses. Remember Moses? He sees the bush that's burning, but the bush is not consumed. He goes up and God says, take off your sandals and feet. place where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses falls on his face and God says, hey, I'm glad you stopped by. I want you to pack your stuff, go back to Egypt, get my people and bring them back here. And Moses said, I know you're God and all, but you've had this all wrong. See, I can't talk very well, and I'm, a, I'm just, I'm really tied up with Jethro sheep, and I can't go do that. If Moses will make excuses in the face of God, if the disciples will make excuses in the face of the Son of God, what will we do today? Matter of fact, can I tell you, I'm looking at people that have PhDs in excusology. <laughs> Are you with me? Now, now, now would y'all agree with that? We have PhDs in excusology. Now, don't you, if, you're, if, you're, if you can think, say, I can think. All right, you tell your kid, go clean your bedroom. You go to the bedroom two hours later, it looks like the Tasmanian devil has done laps in the bedroom. You look at your child and you say, did I tell you to clean up your bedroom? And your child says, what? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Well, they ought to say, sir. I know that's old-fashioned, but I, I still like it. I still think kids ought to respect adults. I, I know if you watch anything and... If you watch any television show, the kids are brilliant, the parents are stupid. But I still, my kids still say yes, sir, and no, sir. I still say yes, sir, and no, sir to people that are, that are older than me, sometimes my age. And so you tell, and you say, why didn't you clean up your bedroom? And they make a what? Do they make an excuse of good enough? Ever? So if the excuses are never good enough for you, are yours ever going to be good enough for God? Mm. That sort of stung a little, didn't it? Good, good, good. Look at verse 18. And he said, bring them to me. 
So all we got is two sardines and five biscuits. There's 5,000 men. We don't, we, listen, I can't do it. I can't, you know what Jesus says? Listen, Jesus is saying to you, bring me what you got. Bring me what time you have. Bring me what knowledge you have. Bring me what experience you have. Bring me what fears you have. Bring me what you have, and I'll bless it, and I'll, I will use it. Look at verse 19. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking toward heaven, he blessed it, blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, gave them to the crowds. See, there's an intersection of a need and an opportunity, of your group and an opportunity. Every day God gives us opportunities. Are you with me? So what we do is we give God what we have. God blesses it. He gives it back to us. We give God what we have. He blesses it. He gives it back to us. And we do with it what we know how to do with it. See, the disciples didn't know how to multiply fish, but they knew how to serve. They knew how to hand it out. They couldn't make those two sardines feed 20,000 people, but they knew how to hand it out. Jesus broke it, blessed it. They started handing it out and multiplied. They handed, they handed, they handed, they handed, they handed. See, they trusted, they trusted Jesus to do what only Jesus could do while they did while they, what they could do. So this is the deal. In this series, we're going to begin a habit of stepping out of our comfort zones. And as you build a habit of stepping out of your comfort zones, into the opportunities where love starts here, you will grow like you have never grown before. You do what you can do, and you trust God to do what only God can do. Are you with me? You invite somebody to church, trust God to bring him. You share your faith, trust God to save him. You pray for the sick and trust God to heal him. You give a cup of cool water in the name of Jesus, and you trust Jesus to touch them. But here's the deal. See, we've all seen the opportunities, but the, the fear that you feel when an opportunity presents itself, the fear that you feel is your faith growing. Don't miss this. We all want our faith to grow, right? See, what you, you see people that you think are spiritual, have a great faith, all they did was step out of their comfort zone, step out of their comfort zone, step out of their comfort zone, step out of their comfort zone. While you were back there making excuses, their faith was growing. Are you with me? You want your faith to grow? Get out of your comfort zone. Do what you can do. Trust God to do what he can do. Because, see, God is always working on your faith. I mean, that your faith would increase. Without faith, our thing for 2016, it's impossible to please God. He's always increasing. And what we say, that our issue, what we've always said, we preachers, well, if you don't do what God's equipped you to do, if you don't do what God's called you to do, then nobody else is going to do it. And, and you know what? Part of that's true. But let me give you the flip side of that corner. If you listen, say, I am. If you don't do it, your faith won't grow. Yeah, a ministry may not get done, but your faith won't grow. You'll stay stagnant in your faith, and you will, you will grow dry and stale because your faith is not increasing because you're afraid to step out of your cover zone and let God grow your faith. That's why he gives you opportunities to serve that are outside your comfort zone. That's why we keep changing at Faith Promise and doing bigger and, and other things. Man, it keeps stretching us because we want to keep growing. Does this make sense? Every great story in the Bible, every great story about, that you've read about someone, every single great story, can I tell you something about it? Somebody saw a need and said, I'll do something. I'll do what I can do, and I'll let God do what I can do. A little bitty 90-pound woman walking through the streets of Calcutta said the poverty is immense. Millions of people lived in the slum, millions of people dying of, of diseases and not enough food. And she said, I'll feed one. I'll feed another one. Anybody know her name? 
Mother Teresa, she stood in the presence of kings and presidents and princes, and they all cowered because a 90-year-old woman said, I mean, a 90-pound woman said, I'll do what I can do, and I'll let God do what God can do. See, every need, every single great story, there's a need, somebody sees it, somebody steps in, love starts here, and then God takes it to the end. Does that make sense? See, God wants to write your story. It's a story of significance. So look at verse 20. So they ate and all were satisfied. Everybody got filled. They picked up what was left over, the broken pieces. There were 12 doggy bags. You ever brought home food home from the restaurant? I don't understand that because I cleaned my plate, but some people don't eat it all. 12 doggy bags. How many disciples were there? Ah, 12, yeah. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. We'll say 20,000 people. They did what they could do. And Jesus did what he could do. This is the deal. Man, in Faith Promise 20 years ago, a bunch of people said, man, churches aren't winning people to Jesus. Somebody ought to do something. There ought to be a different kind of church. There ought to be a church that's different because if you want to reach people and nobody's reaching, you got to do things that nobody else is doing. And so we're going to do a new, we're going to begin a new church. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what it looked like, but we're just going to start. They met in a hotel 20 years ago today. There'll be 6,000 people this weekend at six campuses, 5,000 baptisms, and lives have been changed. Now, can you imagine the faith of those founders and how it's grown and watching 20 years. Pray for one, Richard Gwaltney. Richard is uh, in a critical care unit in, in Oak Ridge and very ill. Richard helped build all of our buildings. Richard Gwaltney's probably been to more services than anybody in the history of Faith Promise. Goes to all of them every weekend to pray at the Pellissippi campus so he can pray that people will be saved. Pray for Richard. He's my friend. And he's just, but, but imagine how his faith grew as he just stepped out there. See, Jesus has an agenda, and his agenda is to grow your faith. He's always teaching, always moving, always up. Does this make sense? So what the disciples did know that Jesus knew is that he was not going to be there much longer. And he was building their faith so that he could pass the baton to those 11 men who would take that brand-new baby church and win the world with it. So he's, so he's done Faith 101, which is feed the 5,000 men, 20,000 people. That's a big deal, right? Now, here's what we do. In my Bible, it finishes in verse 21. There are about 5,000 men who ate. Then there's a stop, and then there's a title. Jesus walks on the water. So let me tell you how we Westerners do. The, 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 the event is stopped, right? Boom, new event. New event. So we stopped the feeding of the 5,000. This is how we read our Bible. The Bible is an Eastern book written by Jewish people for Jewish people. Full in message, not full in details. And so the deal is the event was not over, but we, it's over in our minds, so we don't tie the next event. So look at verse 22. What's that first word? Okay, just fed the 5,000. As soon as they get the doggy bags, they get their lunches packed for the next day of the leftover. Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them, him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Now, again, same event, but in our minds, it's another event, isn't it? Y'all see what I'm talking about? So you got you to read your Bible with a, with a sense of wonder and amazement, with, with a spiritual imagination. And so it's just really one story. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to what? And when it was 
evening, he was there alone. Because remember what happened this morning? He found out John's head got cut off. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, that group I took to Israel, we stood up on the mountain and we looked at it. We sailed on that lake and we stood up on the mountain. Watch that lake. It's unbelievable. And so what happened? Man, they get done. They feed the 20,000. Jesus said, get in the boat. I'll send the crowd away. Now they're, now they're experts. They're in now. Some of these boys grew up right there on the sea, on the, on the shore. They know how to row. They're fishermen. And so they get out there in the middle. They've been rowing a long time, and the waves are rising, for the wind is contrary. As long as you're going to serve Jesus on this planet, the winds will always be contrary because we're going opposite of the culture. It's a me culture, and we're living in a we church. It's all about a me world, and we're an other-centered. We have the disease of other-itis. Consider others as more important than yourself, Jesus said. And so, now, now, what had the boys just seen, just seen an hour before? The feeding of the 5,000 men, right? Come on, they'd just seen it. So look at verse 25. A few hours later, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking. Now there's a storm raging, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and cried out in fear like schoolgirls with feathers all over their legs. Ah, they're after us. It's a vampire. That's a stupid. I mean, come on, people. They flunked Faith 101, didn't they? In fact, in another one of the stories, Jesus got in the boat and said, did you guys not learn anything from the loaves and the fish? What's wrong with you? Come on. We, we, we can't get out of kindergarten until you graduate. You get, your faith has to be increased. And so, by, by the way, let me give you a parenthesis right here. If you're listening, Sam, a lot of you don't have a church background, and we're so thrilled that you're here. Some of you haven't made a faith decision yet, and we're glad that you're coming. And some of you say, well, how do I know the Bible's better than Bhagavad Gita? How do I know that it's better than the Koran? How do I know? Let me tell you one way you know the Bible's right, because the people that wrote it made themselves look like idiots. <laughs> See, now, if I was right, you know, if Petey, Timmy, Tommy, and Andy were sitting around the campfire making the story up, do you think that's how they'd have written it? They just said, hey, we were hanging out with Jesus. We were all teaching and healing people. <laughs> and it got evening. We said, Lord, these people are tired. We got a couple sardines and biscuits. How about doing a little hocus pocus, baby, and multiplying that? We'll feed all these poor peasants. <laughs> so we got done, and we got in a boat to go to the other side. We were rowing, and a storm came up. We knew, man, we knew it wasn't no big deal. So we brought out our doggy bags. We started having lunch. And then we saw somebody walking. Well, it had to be Jesus. Lord, we're over here. Come on. So Jesus comes, and we all jumped out of the boat and had a dance on the waves. See, that's how the story would have been <laughs> if it would have been fiction. Because <laughs> let me tell you, if I was writing it, I would not have written that. <laughs> See, the book was written by men under the express of the Holy Spirit. You know the Bible's true because they're always goobers. <laughs> they, are you with me? And it ought to make you feel better because you're a goober. Come on, we're all. It ought to just make us feel better. Let's look at verse 27. Oh, watch this. We're about, to, we're about to have a revelation right here. Watch. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, hey, quit whining like girls. Actually, this is, insult, this is an insult to girls. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. See, what, let me tell you what just happened to Peter. Peter just connected the loaves and the waves. 
It just, it just had a revelation. Peter realized, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, he just fed 20,000 people with a couple with a Happy Meal. He's out there on the water. I bet I could get out there with him. But let me tell you what Peter does. This is where people blow it. He said, Lord, it's if it's you, command me to come out there. See, you know what people do? They, they take a big, huge leap of faith that God didn't tell them to make. And they fall off the cliff and they land at the bottom and say, God, where were you? Nowhere around here. <laughs> what did you step off the cliff for? Well, I thought, I didn't say step off the cliff. I said, get away from the cliff. <laughs> did somebody push you? No, you stepped off. And we say, where's God? God wasn't there. So Peter says, I'm not getting, hey, Lord, if you commanded me to feed the people the loaves and the fish, how about commanding me to get out of the boat? I don't know how to walk on the water, but I know how to get out of a boat. And so what, what does he do? He gets out. Peter said, I can't calm the storm, but Jesus can. Peter said, I can't multiply fish, but I can serve fish. I can't walk on the water, but I can get out of the boat. See, Peter sees it. He gets it. Are y'all with him? But Peter sees you've got to be with Jesus. So Peter gets out and he walks on the water. All the other guys are in there whining and crying in the boat while Pete's out there dancing on the waves with Jesus. See, there are a lot of things we can't do, but there's some stuff we can do. Does that make sense? And so what we've got to do is we've, we've, got, to, we've, got, to, we've got to move on. See, whenever the Lord wants you to step out of your comfort zone, he's going to guide you out of your comfort zone. He's going to make a way. You do what you can do, he'll do what he can do. You do what you can do, what only you can do. Jesus will do what only he can do. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So, man, I don't know how to walk on the water. You know how to get out of the boat. So you just do what you can do, and you trust him. Every day he's going to put opportunities in your path, and every day you, if you'll just follow, your faith will grow. If you'll step out, he'll keep growing your faith. See, what we do is we keep asking for miracles. How about let's be a miracle? How about giving a holy hug? How about a word of encouragement? How about stepping into a couple that's about divorce? How about stepping into somebody that's in a bind? How about stepping into the opportunity that God gives you and you be the miracle instead of always asking for one? That's the title of next week's message, how to be a miracle. You do what you can do, he'll do what he can do. See, there's a tension between this opportunity and this fear that God has given us. But if you want to grow, we all want to grow, don't we? Then you got to step out of the boat and into the love and into the ministry. Matter of fact, I want you to do something. This week, I want you to look for one area to step out of your comfort zone and serve. Again, all of our adult groups have opportunities, and you guys can pick which one you want to do, and we'll challenge you. And then send me an email. Tell me what you did and what God did. And I'm going to use some of those next weekend in how to be a miracle. So step out, do something. Are you with me? But, hey, this is the deal. Your faith can't grow if you don't have any. And if you're not born again, you don't have real biblical faith. You may have some hope, but you don't have biblical faith because faith comes at the point of salvation. Faith comes by hearing by the word of God. Faith is a gift. And so if you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, and, man, all at our campuses, a couple thousand people listen to this message, this particular service across all of our campuses, if you're ready to surrender your heart, if you're ready to quit being religious and have a relationship with God, he's ready. But to as many as received him, to them gave the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 1. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're ready, we're going to pray a confessional prayer. So pray this prayer with me. We're going to pray it with you out loud. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned 
I know I'm separated from you, and I am so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Master. You died for me. You rose from the grave. And now by faith, I will follow you. Grow me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, somebody give him some praise in the house, would you? Man, wow, wow. Now, if you just gave your heart to Jesus, to fill the, fill the communication card out in front of you and drop the offering box or take it to our next steps area, and, and we'll help you with the next step. Maybe you need a group or baptism or whatever. Man, you can go to the next steps or put in the offering box and somebody will be in touch with you. Hey, listen, listen, what's Thursday? Make sure nobody's alone in our church. Make sure nobody's alone. Make sure nobody's alone. I used to have a bunch of single adult friends, and now they're all married. But I would always invite my single adult friends to come over, and they still come now. They just bring their spouses with them, Wayne Brooks and some other people. But, but make sure nobody's alone Thanksgiving Day. It's a horrible day to be. Just, you know, make sure, invite people. If you think this, call them. Say, hey, come over. And, and there's enough food, isn't there? Come on, you don't have to eat leftovers for four or five days if you'll invite some people over. And so there are going to be pastors up front to, to pray with people if you want. As you leave, we're going to hand you these Advent calendars. It's going to be our greatest Christmas ever. Hey, listen, look, hey, imagine, imagine if all six or 7,000 of us will look all every day for an opportunity to reach out and share. Then people will know what faith promise is for, and that's for people. Amen. We love you. See you guys next weekend. Be blessed.